You're listening to the Teach Better Talk podcast featuring expert educators eager to share progressive tactics to reach more students. Teach Better Talk is created by teachers and fueled by passion. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 128 of Teach Better Talk. I'm Ray Hewart, and as always, I'm with my game-changing friend, Jeff Gargas. Ooh, game-changing. I like that one. It fits this episode so well. Did you do that on purpose? You know what? I wish I had, but actually it was submitted by Marcella, who is a part of our Facebook family. Yes, and she said that you really are game-changing because you're willing to take risks and PD and strategies to improve learning outcomes for all students. And I love that she wrote that um, as a description of you because it was kind of sweet and nice and true. It was. She's awesome. Uh, thank you, Marcella. She's really cool. She's so positive all the time. And um, yeah, I, I love being connected with her. So thank you. That's awesome. Good stuff. Yeah. But it also fits this episode really well. <laughs> it does. Well, exactly. And Matt has a ton that he shares. But before we get into Matt's episode, can I... Can I just tell you, um, I've been doing a lot of reflection about um, like how education is structured and you know, kind of where we're headed and where we want to be. And if you don't mind, Jeff, I know this is random. Stick with me here, friend. Can I talk about my sister? Yeah, if, if you're going to – yeah, go ahead. I don't think it's all that random. I think it kind of connects in a weird way. Go ahead. It, it, it does, I promise. It does, so yeah. for those of you that know me, um, or you don't, you're just going to find this stuff out. Uh, <laughs> my sister is studying to be a vet in Glasgow, Scotland. So she's been there for about three years. She's got about two years left in her doctoral program. She's got an amazing setup. I was able to visit her uh, a few years ago. But one of the incredible things that I've learned from her, and let me tell you, I have learned a ton. She is the genius of the family. And yes, I'm older. And yes, she's cooler than me. But her whole program for how they are immersing these doctoral students into really understanding veterinary science is fascinating to me as an educator. And so I've been doing a lot of, like having a lot of conversations with her over the past few years. And it's really interesting. So she's taking a full set of courses, all studying different elements of veterinary science, very much makes sense to somebody who understands the academic world. But the way that they do it is using case studies. So I'm going to give a horrible example. But for the sake of, you know, the lamos listening that's like me that doesn't really understand all the biological pieces, this is so neat. So for instance, if they're studying um, like a cow, okay, work with me here. Um, The different classes that examine different elements of veterinary science actually all take the same case study and examine the animal from multiple different aspects. So for example, if I have a a cow that I'm examining, um, quote unquote, in this case study, then the, you know, class that I have on the respiratory system is going to examine the cow in that capacity. And then they're going to look at the bones and the muscles and, and all the, the, the nutrition and the whole element that they've um, kind of built of studying these animals from multiple different capacities is really this interdisciplinary model that we try to put into our classes where you know the science class is studying the same topic as the math class and they kind of work together so that the students can see the relevancy in their learning. And so I, I've been thinking a lot about this. I know I've tried to 
find as many ways to duplicate this in public education and, you know, in all other buildings using the teach further model where you're really bringing in relevancy. Um, But it fits so perfectly with this episode because the Matt is a professor at this university that she's studying with this extremely progressive interdisciplinary approach to learning. And I just think it's so important that no matter what grade level you teach, whether it be kindergarten to, you know, upper high school to higher ed, that we allow students to see this purpose, this relevancy, and this connection between our content areas. Because I really think that that builds the best doctors, that builds the best, you know, insert any career field here, um, because the students actually understand what in the world they're doing and why they're studying it. I so agree. And that was a really cool way to connect that. Kind of, right? It was really cool just the fact that he he's actually like we didn't know that he teaches at the university that your sister's at, but then that was a really cool connection. Well, and his focus is very similar. And I yeah. obviously will listen to it in this in this podcast episode, but his commitment to not only bringing in a progressive idea, a necessary progressive idea into a university scale, but also ensuring that students understand the relevancy of those tools is something that I hope all educators, no matter what subject you teach or grade level, you can take that back to your classroom tomorrow and say, how am I building this successfully for students, no matter what my resources are? Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Uh, this was a phen- phenomenal episode. Uh, so Dr. Matthew Barr, or Matt, as we call him, uh, he's, he's a lecturer, as we said, at the University of Glasgow. He's got a lot of stuff going on. So he actually started the university's first game studies course. Uh, and he, he, so he founded it. It's an international student game studies journal called Press Start. Uh, he's, he's in the computer and science education. He's got, he's got this really cool, and he goes into this quite a bit too. It's an, uh, a graduate apprenticeship uh, program in software engineering, which is really cool. Uh, he's the co-director of the university's games and game and lab. He's got a book out called Graduate Skills in Game-Based Learning. Uh, he's, he's done a lot of research and, uh, uh, projects and, and stuff and looking at how video games, uh, affect the mind and how they work in higher education. Some cool stuff that he shares with us that there, that got me excited. So I asked a bunch of follow up questions for him. He shares some of the results of the research and stuff. He's the, let's see, he's the vice chair of the uh, British digital games research association. He's the director, uh, and trustee for the Scottish game developers association. And he sits on the. BAFTA Scotland com, uh, committee as well. And he's also uh, serving as the games jur- jury chair. So this guy's got a lot going on. Uh, super fun. Uh, we had a blast. Um, a huge, huge shout out to Matt. We had a lot of technical uh, issues with connecting and stuff. And he fought through it with us. It was super late where he is. It was after midnight by the time we got going um, where he is in Scotland. And he still just, I think, just delivered an awesome episode. Super excited for everyone to jump in. So excited that I'm not even going to let Ray say anything. Let's just get into episode 128 with Matt Barr. Hey everyone, it's Ray. We are about to get right back to the episode, but I wanted to make sure you are a part of our Facebook group. The Teach Better team has a private Facebook group that has grown so much over the past few months, and we continue to do live sessions, answer questions, and have teachers share their lesson plan ideas so we can all collaborate together. Head over to Facebook and search Teach Better Team to request to join, or you can head to teachbettergroup.com and request there. Either way, we'll see you over on Facebook. Now let's get back to the episode. 
All right, we're here and we are chatting with Matt Barr, and we are already having a good time here because we have had all kinds of technical difficulties, but we pushed through. We got to figure it out. We're connected. <laughs> Matt, super excited to have you on. Uh, we just found some really cool connections between you and Ray, the fact that her sister's at the university that you're at, um, and that she's been to Scotland and 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 everything like that, and that you're actually from Chicago or you have family in Chicago as well. It's just kind of crazy, cool, small world, <laughs> even though it's not that small of a world. Uh, so super excited to have you on and kind of dive into what you do and and hear your story and stuff. But before we get going too far, man, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. Yeah, it's it's late. It's it's, it's late after then. midnight. Yeah, yeah. So um, but I but I'm raring to go. Matt, I was so excited. I was not going to let our tech issues bring us down because this is going to be an outstanding episode. I can just already feel it. I want to start off our first question kind of talking about you and your background. And I always like to say it's an easy question, even though it simply isn't because educators do a lot of things. But would you mind telling us a little bit about what you do in education? Yeah, sure. So, um, well, I, I, I often make the joke that what I do is all smoke and mirrors, but I, I, I do have a real job. <laughs> so um, certainly I think some of the, the, the strange looks I get come from the fact that I research video games. Some people think that's a little bit odd, um, but probably what I'm doing right now day to day uh, actually resembles a job. So that's running a new undergraduate work-based degree program in software engineering. Uh, but prior to that, my research has been to do with using video games in higher education. So, okay, now I want to dive into this. So when you say you're researching video games, what does that mean? What does that look like? What are you, what are you researching? What are you looking for? Sure. It, it probably looks less fun than it sounds, but um, <laughs> the idea is uh, the work we did was looking at how commercial video games, the stuff you can buy at the store, um, can help develop graduate skills. So, you know, um, develop things like communication and resourcefulness and so on. Um, so I've been researching the kind of game-based learning, if you like. Um, and we ran a bunch of experiments and I've done some work around that, which has been quite exciting. That's, that's really cool. I love that idea of looking at that. So now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you dive further in. So in your research, what have you found? What are the connections that you found in those? Like, So maybe you can share one of the, the sort of uh, tests or projects that you've run and sort of the experiments sure. and what, what you've gained from that. Yeah, sure. So um, originally, I did a study where we tried to make it as robust as possible. We made it um, a randomized control style trial where we recruited 100 undergraduates and we split them randomly into two groups, one control, one intervention. And the intervention group played uh, a bunch of video games that uh, we chose uh, over a semester, over about eight weeks, whereas the control group uh, did not. But both groups were tested at the beginning of the semester and again at the end of the semester on a bunch of particular skills or attributes as we call them um, so that was communication resourcefulness and adaptability uh, so the, the the students played the games for around two hours a week so not, so not a great deal of time um, and then at the end of the semester we tested again and there was a statistically significant improvement in the scores in the game playing group, right? So the games, it appeared, actually had a, a positive effect on their their various skills. Um, so that that was that's the kind of headline news, I guess. Very cool. I've been trying to tell my mom that for years now. Like <laughs> I, I Twenty five years or so. <laughs> no, that's really cool. I, that that just always interests me. That's always a neat uh, a neat field. I think. It's kind of cool to look at the, how it actually affects, you know, you hear a lot in the news about yes. negative or, or not or whatever, but to hear the, the actual study put into it, that's, that's pretty cool. So 
So, we, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot on this podcast is failure. I talk a lot about being fortunate enough to fail a lot because it's kind of, it's molded me into who I am today. So we love talking about that. So can you share a story with us about a time that you've had a failure? Kind of share with us what happened, how did you overcome it, and then what did you take away from that? Sure. Yeah. Well, first of all, you stole my joke about failing a lot, and <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's fine. Um, so the, the, the question is whether I learned from her or not. And I was thinking about this and I think um, obviously there have been some big failures, small failures, but one that came to mind recently was I, I really made a mess of my first degree of my undergraduate degree. Um, it was something of a disaster. I, <laughs> for, for reasons I can't quite recall, I ended up doing a degree in geology. So, um, and I was not only not good at it, um, uh, I didn't really like it. It turns out it's not all dinosaurs and volcanoes. There's like <laughs> physics and chemistry and stuff with like maths in it. And I was terrible, but I, I, I that was a squandered opportunity. You know, I had some great yeah. teachers, some, some of whom are now uh, distant colleagues at the university. Um, but I, I wasn't into it and I just scraped through. So when I graduated, I just threw the degree away and went into an entry level IT job, worked my way up. Uh, eventually came back to the master's and later a PhD. But I mean, it, that was a train wreck, but it's something I draw on all the time in my current job as a, as an academic, because especially in my role as what we call an advisor of studies, I'm not sure what the equivalent would be, but it's like a personal tutor, someone who has mm-hmm. um, a pastoral role who looks after the students too. Um, and I see so many students who are in the same situation I was 20, 20, two years ago um right now that, that i was in, in at that time so they've made maybe bad, bad decisions um they're just not in the right place just now mentally to be at university um uh maybe they sort of i kind of lack the maturity kind of like i did to be honest um and i feel i can connect with those students really well because i've been there and done that whereas a lot of my uh, smarter colleagues have <laughs> <I've> sailed through <laughs> you know I've always been destined for academia. You know, I've got their first class degree, got their great distinction honors uh, uh, at, um, at master's level, got their PhD. But it's been a, a bumpier ride for me, and I think probably I would be less good in the in that part of my job if I hadn't massively failed my uh, <laughs> my first undergraduate degree. Um, the other thing I should say is that my office now i look out the window and literally i can see the geology building so that's <laughs> that, that keeps things real you know so yeah. if ever I, I i i forget and i think oh why are these students not behaving i think well yeah that was that that was totally me but um i i think i think there's been lots of small failures I and mean, if you look at my, my my teaching um i remember i gamified uh, my game studies class which made sense because we were studying the, you know, it was the, the phenomenon we were studying was, um, was relevant. And, um, you know, I, I, that could have been better. I remember I learned from that, that I need to explain what I'm doing. If it's something in any way new, I must keep explaining it. I should probably use different channels to explain it because the students who weren't so great at showing up, <laughs> let's say, uh, missed the introduction to what it all was and how it was really just a piece of fun, uh, how we were examining the effects of gamification. But of course, the students who weren't there for that explanation find themselves at the bottom of the of the leaderboard, right? Mm-hmm. So they were freaked out and uh, disappointed and they didn't understand what it was. They thought they were failing. Um, 
I mean, it is better that they show up to class, <laughs> uh, ideally, but you know, uh, it, it wasn't the end of the world. So I, I, I learned how to present something like that a little bit better. But since then, really, I've just, I want to think, what I, the way I put it is I've learned the art of feeling. I feel all the time, but now I don't get freaked out by it. It's, I will try something in class. If it doesn't seem to be working, I don't, I just, you know, I just stop. That's fine. I'll draw a line under it. Usually I'll make some stupid dad joke about how it's gone <laughs> wrong. Um, stupid dad jokes are my, my, basically my teaching style now. Um, but, um, you know, I'll just move on. And I think even, even five years ago, certainly 10 years ago, I would have, I would have struggled with that. But it's about feeling all the time and reacting quickly, you know? Stupid dad jokes, right, Ray? I love those. Yeah, Jeff, you're fun <laughs> of awful dad jokes. So. I, I like you guys. <laughs> I, like it. I, I love that you said the art of failing. I think that's that's uh, that's a great way of putting it because it really like it, it is an art in a sense because you really have to learn how to fail the right way because you know you're going to make you're going to have failures whether big or small and, and it really is an art to be able to not let them bring you down and rather reflect on them and, and pull out the lessons in them. So I really enjoyed that. So let's let's flip it around now, Matt. Let's talk about a time that you, uh, a successful moment. This could be something big or something small, but tell us what happened. Why was it a success for you? And then what'd you take away from that? Mm. Um, well, you touched on this earlier on about how um, games tend to get a bad rap in the press. You know, we hear mm -hmm. negative things all the time. Um, and so when we did our study with with the games and learning these skills, you know, they were playing games like Borderlands 2, uh, Team Fortress 2, games with, you know, they were somewhat violent. I mean, they were kind of cartoonish, but they were, mm -hmm. but the point is that they were about communication and about collaboration and about constantly shifting scenarios. So having to you know, adapt. Um, so what the students took from those games was positive. And so when we published the results of the study, um, it, it got a lot of traction in the press. And I, I was delighted because usually the stories, as I say, are quite negative. But I think because because I had those quantitative measures in there, it sounded you know convincing to journalists. And for about thirty six hours, I was um, you know I was on the radio in Singapore. I did a couple of uh, guest slots over in the states, and I was in all the press in the UK just for you know <laughs> thirty six hours of fame. I think I would say. Um, which is brilliant because it, it changed the narrative a little bit, just that ever so slightly, you know, just as a, so that was, a, that was a success. And that led to going on to write the book uh, where I expanded on that. And that was a great opportunity that came out of that. What I, I, I didn't have high hopes for the study. <laughs> it just, it grew legs. And then I was able to pitch a book on it and um, I did some more work. I expanded that out with interviews and it was, that was a great experience. I think that's so cool. It sounds like an amazing experience. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed doing the book. I think even more so than the experimental study, because as I said, it, it's less fun than you think. I I, <laughs> I remember trying to set up the games lab, um, which I was lucky to get. I I I, uh, I found a basement that no one was using. I asked <laughs> the IT IT guys for a bunch of old um, bunch of old machines. Um, the head of IT likes an Irish accent, so I, I, I dialed that up a little bit. Uh, and she gave me half a dozen, or give me a dozen, sorry, uh, old machines for free. So I, it was kind of like a, a skunk works operation. Um, but I remember trying to set up all the computers to play the games. And it turns out that the ports, the network ports, were all blocked because games are bad. 
um, and universities don't like you playing them. So I had to go around and install all the all the games with uh, my mobile phone and a little Wi-Fi dongle. Oh my god! <laughs> which was ludicrous. <laughs> and then and then when the game when they did start playing the games because they were playing two hours and then rotating, I heard the first two hours of Borderlands two something like I don't know 50, 60 times in a oh sort of one week period, and I, I I can't I can't play that game anymore. I can't. I can't hear those that dialogue. <laughs> it just ruined that game for me. So when it came to the book, I was able to, I was in my comfort zone a little bit, just doing interviews. I interviewed um, the developers behind those games. I was very fortunate to get a representative from Valve, one of the uh, companies who make uh, you know, Portal Portal 2 is my go-to game for this. I think every okay. student in the world should play Portal 2 and co-op. But uh, so I spoke to uh, an experimental psychologist because Valve have an experimental psychologist on the staff. <laughs> you know, um, he was giving nothing away, right? He was a he was a another uh, a fellow scientist, so he would make no claims whatsoever with like, hard sure. evidence. <laughs> he was a tough nut to crack, but he he gave a lot of great insight. Uh, spoke to the guys that made Borderlands Two, made all these other different games, the Lara Croft games. Um, and I also interviewed a bunch of um, educators across the, across the globe who are using games in cool ways in higher education. So I, I love doing that stuff. That's I, I take that any day over installing games with a Wi-Fi dongle. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so important, Matt. I feel like you are living either somebody's dream job or worst nightmare, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> No comment. I think, yeah. Uh, yes, it's, it's not as rock and roll as it sounds, I'm afraid, but... Um, yeah, oh, it, it sounds was, pretty it, rock and roll. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think you've okay. convinced Jeff he's leaving um, all his responsibilities. He's moving in with you in Glasgow, Scotland. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll just take the, like, playing the games and setting things up. You can worry about all the academic stuff. There you okay. go. <laughs> it's a deal. It's a deal. I just want the rock star stuff. That's all I want. <laughs> you know, Matt, you're obviously doing amazing things. Your stories are fabulous. But I have to ask you, like, with everything about education, being passionate about gaming, which is a huge kind of like, you know, I feel like that's a buzzword right now, like gamification in schools, you know, whether it be K-12 or higher ed, you know, what's exciting you about what you're doing? What impact do you think you're making? And how do you like fuel this this passion? Sure. I mean, I don't get to do it all the time in my day job, but I am keeping keeping things going with the game stuff. So um, what's cool is I've got a couple of PhD students working in that space and I, I'm still getting the opportunity to talk about this stuff. So I, I get invited to various places where I get to talk to very serious grown-up people. I kind of forget I have to pretend to be a grown-up and I stand up there and I talk about video games with my grown-up face on and um, it's cool. So I, I'm still keeping my hand in that and I really want to get back to it. But what I'm doing at the moment is also kind of cool and exciting. Um, it's a, an apprenticeship degree, uh, so a work-based degree um, in software engineering. Um, and I switched jobs to come and help run that. Uh, weirdly, my boss is one of the guys that taught me those 20-something years ago. Uh, he's forgotten how bad I was, thankfully. But um, <laughs> um, <laughs> but this is a really cool new thing because it's it's it's... To be honest, I think it's the way something like computer science programming should be taught. Um, we talk about it that computer science education is kind of coming of age. It's a vocation like medicine or indeed like your sister, uh, like uh, veterinary studies. So um, there should be a work-based element to it. Um, now, in 
in the UK, apprenticeships have connotations of, I don't know, being like a joiner, I guess, or, you know, something that's less academic, um, by no means less valuable, but it's not something that an ancient university like Glasgow is associated with. But then we throw the example of, well, yeah, well, what about the medics? What about the vets? What about the engineers? These are vocations that are also very academically rigorous. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what we're moving towards. It's been a big challenge uh, to get this up and running. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts. It's working with employers. So I'm used to my students just kind of showing up. They apply to university and there they are. It, it, there are complications with this stuff because you have to ensure that you have enough employers with enough places. And, um, there are other moving parts as well. But it's such a great experience for the students because they're in the workplace. They're seeing the messy real life stuff that that we can't really emulate at, at university. That every single student I meet who either goes out on their first placement internship or first job after graduation says, this is nothing like university. <laughs> what were you teaching us, right? Um, um, because it's just so different. And um, because in one, you know, in one workplace, you'll have a bunch of different systems and technologies, a bunch of different ways of working that we can't possibly expose them to. So as soon as they go out in the real world, immediately it seems like everything we've taught them is nonsense, right? It isn't nonsense <laughs> um, because they've got that that grounding that they can adapt to um, to whatever we throw at them. But this way, they're getting that from day one. So I have I have students who've been with me for uh, this is their sixth week. It's week six. We're already covering stuff we would normally do in year two. They're already cutting code in the workplace in many cases, um, and they're seeing how it all works. They're building up their networks, and the really cool thing is, whenever they come back into uni university and sit there with me, we're talking about all those different experiences. They're learning so much from each other because they've all got these different experience experiences. They it's set up so that they're all helping each other and they're learning so much. I think they don't even quite appreciate yet how much they're learning, but I can see it and it's it's very cool. Sorry, all I right, Matt, now you away. are speaking my language. I love mm -hmm. this. Okay. <laughs> this is like, you're talking video games. I know Jeff was salivating at the mouth. <laughs> I'm at the beginning level of video games. I know what they are and don't use enough of the idea of gamification in my classroom. But you want to bring up real-world apprenticeship opportunities for uh -huh. students? Oh, my goodness. You, We could talk on this for hours. I want to, like, be your assistant. Tell me you're hiring. Oh, I mean, you guys, you, you guys have both good jobs here. Just come on over. I mean, Done. That's... All right, Ray. I guess we're jumping on a plane. We are. Sorry, yeah. Teacher Talk. Our episode ends here. We're leaving. <laughs> Our next episode will be live from Scotland. It's all good. There we go. We could go hang out with my sister. It'll be a whole party. <laughs> well, Matt, I have to tell you, with these two extremely valuable ideas and your tactical steps to actually put them into place and make them happen, I couldn't be more on board with your mission and the work that you're doing in multiple different capacities. But tell me, I, you know, we always ask our guests advice. And I think advice is important because a lot of our listeners like to take away this tip and really like put it into their classroom, you know, tomorrow or within the next month because they want to ensure that they're reaching their students as best as possible. So with everything that you're passionate about and all the important work that you're doing, what type of advice do our teachers need to be successful? Hmm. Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, 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 you know, it's, it's maybe a bit of a cliche, but I would say don't overthink, don't overthink it. Don't, um, don't waste 
energy on over preparing your classes, um, especially the night before, which we've all done, right? That's that's <laughs> that's what happens. Yeah, I can hear Jeff laughing. Yeah. So um, I used to spend when I first started teaching, I used to spend a ridiculous amount of time prepping each lecture, I would basically write a script of what I would say. And I would paste that into the, the speaker notes in um, PowerPoint. And I, just because I was paranoid that I would forget things or get things a little bit wrong. You know, I might, if I was teaching game studies, I might forget, I don't know, the date that a game came out or the name of a designer. But teaching software engineering, maybe I'd forget some language syntax. And I was paranoid. But actually, you know, <laughs> all that worrying was kind of productive. If I stayed up all night trying to perfect this script, I was stilted the next day. I was like tethered to the lectern, right? It was... Um, and I couldn't really think of my feet because I've been up all night. So now I spend much less time worrying about getting it down and getting that script right. I get I prepare enough, but now I just kind of go with the flow. And I know that takes a little bit of experience and confidence to, to get to that point, but it means that, yes, the presentation style is a little bit rough around the edges, you know, and I there are more dad jokes than there should be. But um, And I do forget things, you know, but that's fine. It's okay to be a little bit vulnerable in front of the students. Once you're standing up there in front of them, most of the time they are accepting of the fact that you know better than them, at least for now. Um, and the, But the trade-off is that much stronger relationship with the students because you're being yourself and all the energy that I used to waste on ridiculously over-preparing can be put into the delivery on the day. So that would be my, my takeaway, I guess. I love it. Don't overthink it. Go with the flow a little bit. It's all right to be a little rough around the edges. Speaking my language there for sure. <laughs> so, all right, let's have a little bit of fun with this next one. What we're going to do with this next one is I'm going to throw six questions at you. Your goal is to answer each one in 15 seconds or less. You ready to go? I think so. <laughs> all right. What is one ed tech tool you cannot live without? Right. Maybe not quite ed tech, but the recorder app in my Pixel 4 is pretty amazing. I'm not paid by Google. Um, <laughs> I, I, so not only can you record my lectures, but it does a really good transcript in real time, even with my dodgy accent. So they, and I can give that to students right after class. Oh, that's cool. I would qualify that as ed tech tool. That's pretty awesome to be able to provide them with that. Uh, give us a book that you're reading right now. Uh, for fun, I'm reading uh, The Secret Commonwealth by Philip Pullman, the kind of sequel, I guess, to the, the Dark Materials trilogy. Uh, and I'm about to read a really interesting looking book called Video Gamers and Games in Therapy by Anthony Bean, because one of my PhD students is working on that stuff right now, and I want to get into it. That's pretty cool. Uh, who do we need to follow today, either on Twitter or Instagram? I'm, I'm terrible at this. I'm terrible at social media. Anyway, I'm going to give you two of my colleagues who I really um, value um, in here at Glasgow, both based in our academic development unit. Um, one is Dr. Vicky Dale. That's V-H-M Dale, D-A-L-E on Twitter. Um, Vicky's super into online blended learning design. She's brilliant at advising on designs. Dr. Nat Natalie Sheridan, and that's D-R-N Sheridan on Twitter. Um, She's really helping us out with the apprenticeships. She's helping to coach the mentors that we're having in the workplace. She's awesome. And not a person, but Fem Ed Tech um, uh, on Twitter is a network of folk that who are engaged in ed tech, uh, but with a feminist slant. It's, uh, it's, it's mostly women working in tech. And give us a good YouTube channel or website for educators. <laughs> yeah, I meant to think about this one more. Um, okay, I know I should probably say something uh, sensible. I, I, I like the higher education section of the Guardian website, the Guardian newspaper. <laughs> but right now, the, the one that I'm using the most in my prep 
is uh, Image Flip, the meme generator, because <laughs> it's an awesome way of turning my dad jokes into memes. And uh, I think it's getting to the point where the students are kind of laughing at me rather than with me, but at least they're laughing. So <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, give yeah. us a daily, weekly, or monthly routine every teacher should get into. Um, yeah, I'm struggling to do this myself, but when I make the time to do it, writing up some quick and dirty reflections on my teaching is really helpful. Um, even if it's once a week, once a fortnight, um, I find this has been really helpful on the apprenticeship degree because I've been asking the students to keep reflective learning logs. I thought I should do the same. I realized once I started writing, just started pouring out. So it was really interesting. And what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Uh, this is probably a cliche, but learning to say no, I I, <laughs> I say yes to a lot of things like, you know, podcast interviews at midnight, but um, <laughs> We're but, glad uh, you said yes to this podcast. It's okay to say yes to the cool stuff, right? But, yeah, um, exactly. Uh, my wife yeah. was just shaking her head as she went off to bed. Thinking about <laughs> yeah, so, yeah well, I learned you know, to say no. <laughs> it went so smooth with no tech issues or anything. So that's right. We uh, had <laughs> so many tech issues, so many, it but it was through. totally worth it, wasn't yes, it? Yes, totally worth it. Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> I have to say, I uh, support a teacher finding balance and saying no. But in terms of saying no to this recording, I'm really glad that you chose to stay up all the way till midnight to record a Teach Better Talk podcast because. <laughs> You have so much to share. I don't know what we would have done without you. Yeah, in your face, my wife. So there we go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm going to play that little bit of the podcast back. Maybe, yeah, maybe I, not I don't know what that is. You want to edit that part out? <laughs> no, yeah. that, no, there's a good chance that'll be repeated at the end, like after the outro as the, as the outro. Okay. Like Great. 13 times. We'll see. <laughs> well, Matt, I don't know how often you listen to Teach Better Talk, but when you do those questions well, we send a trophy over and we're going to pay extra postage <laughs> to send you the Teach Better Talk trophy today. Man, I'm, I'm just winning all over the place here. This is oh, great. You are. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have the most important question of the evening. Right before you can head to bed and consider this a very successful day, uh, we mm -hmm. want to make sure that we have our listeners connect with you because this recording should only be the beginning. You have a lot more to share on gamification, a lot more to share about purposeful implementation in classrooms and that real world connection. Oh my goodness. So we want to make sure that our listeners can connect with you. What is the best avenue for them to do that? Ooh, uh, I, I guess Twitter. So um, I'm at Hattie underscore Matt for historical reasons. That's <laughs> H-A-T-I-I underscore Matt on Twitter. Nice. Any other things that you want to share in terms of a website, maybe um, retelling us the title of your book so we can go look that part up as well? Sure. I need to get better at plugging the book, don't I? Um, so uh, it's called Graduate Skills and Game-Based Learning. It's published by Palgrave Macmillan. Um, and I've got a little short URL for you. It's bit.ly slash gradskillsgbl, GBL for game-based learning. Awesome. We'll make sure we have that over on the show notes because you know you can find all the links and all the resources, everything we talked about with Matt over at teachbetter.com as well as the important links for connecting with Matt and so you can keep that conversation going. So make sure you head over to teachbetter.com for the show notes for all that. Be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And if you can give us a rating and review, we'd really, really appreciate that as well. Let's continue to take this one step further. Think of just three of your colleagues who need to hear these amazing stories and share this podcast with them. Matt, this was awesome. I'm so glad that you stayed up super late for us and <laughs> fought through the tech issues 
and that we were able to get on, but then we went old school here. We started recording the way that we used to. It was crazy, but we made it happen. It was totally worth it. So much value in this episode, man. We just really, really appreciate your time and your you having some fun with us and just hanging out tonight. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. And until next time, let's get out there and let's teach better. Mm-hmm.